eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip. Let it rip. Let's go. Welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. We're super excited to be back on another Tuesday evening. Tonight is April 7th. And whether you're working from home, working out at home, walking around your home, or just sitting at home, I hope that we can brighten up your day with this podcast. It's a, it's a blessing to be able, I think we're a week early from our normal, normally scheduled uh, podcasting, but... Uh, it's, it's it's a it's a blessing to be able to to have enough to talk about to um, to go a week early. And honestly, we didn't want to dilute the timelines with the podcast if we didn't have too much to talk about. But luckily, a lot of recruiting news going on. A big commitment just landed for Virginia Tech. More could be on the way even during this podcast. So maybe we'll put up the sirens if that happens but somebody hit your twitter up or something <laughs> yeah the phone is is standing by right now but strapped into the crocs and ready to get this one going all right first topic of discussion and this is going to be funny if we look back at this in a few months to to look at the first topic that we're discussing here but justin fuente all of a sudden jumps onto twitter starts interacting with a lot of people and to be fair, I don't know if this was Justin Fuente or maybe his coffee guy that got a hold of his phone. Uh, but he went on to Twitter, interacted with a bunch of fans. The fan base as a whole was very receptive to all the things he was saying. It showed a lot of his personality, which is nice because typically when you see Fuente speaking to anyone, it's usually at the podium. He doesn't have too much to say. He doesn't want to divulge any program secrets. So it was refreshing to see him on Twitter. And it was quite funny to see that because he responded to a few fans, that those fans felt prompted to donate to the program. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny how that works um, a little bit. I know people have been calling for a little more engagement out of the head ball coach there for, for quite some time. And all it takes is um you know a handful of tweets on a what was that sunday night <laughs> during a quarantine um to get everybody excited a little bit probably influenced by uh the quarantine and the fact that he was probably just sitting at home um 
probably after his daughters had gone to sleep, and he's just <laughs> sitting there, sitting there on Twitter, decides to have a little fun. But um, you know, I think that's a little more of what he needs to do, uh, and I think that's that's big, especially. I mean, we've talked about this Virginia Tech even before this quarantine needed to, or before this coronavirus needed to raise some money. And, and and I think when you're the highest paid employee of the university, I think it's a little bit is on you to, to help that out. So um, I don't think that, I don't think Justin Fuente is going to be active on Twitter every single day, all day. I'm looking at his Twitter right now and he's doesn't look like he's tweeted um, since yesterday. And I don't suspect he'll be tweeting during the season, but I mean, when we're all quarantined, sitting at home, and it's Sunday night or whenever that was, um, seems like a pretty good, pretty good activity there. I thought his his jab at uh, <laughs> Divine Diablo was pretty funny. <laughs> I forget what he said about him, but something about being a teacher's pet or something. <laughs> and there was there was an exchange between him and Trey Turner, just talking about how Trey Turner, even though he was a four star recruit, that he came to a camp very early on in his high school career and wasn't really developed because at that point he wanted to become a basketball player. And it was a nice little exchange between him and Fuente just saying that they saw something in him despite not having the best camp performance. That was funny. I think over the last two years of how up and down it's been and like there have been instances where people take like a trade Turner tweet to mean that he's like thinking about leaving, but clearly based on that interaction, him and Fuente have a great relationship. And um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just kind of what, that's what we want to see on Twitter from, you know, you certainly don't have to be engaging all the time or, but you know, when you got some time and want to have some fun, I think that's a great, great platform, particularly to engage um, I think there's a different level of fan base that has Twitter and wants to engage with the head coach on Twitter. You know, like my dad has a Twitter. He he he's a tech alum, but I don't think he would ever like think to follow Justin Fuente um, and like engage with him. But there's a level of the hardcore fan that is more likely to donate, probably that will interact with the head coach on Twitter and any any kind of effort i mean that was like an two hours or something that he put in there and raised i don't know at least a couple hundred bucks but um yeah good to see justin foot day on twitter and um i'm pretty sure like 99.9 percent it was him and not some coffee guy oh absolutely but uh, <laughs> just putting it out there but i will say just last point on this it's good to see virginia tech as a whole maybe not just justin fuente make a concerted effort to put things on twitter to put conversations on twitter with the hard hat series showing coaches players interacting and just the conversations that they have it it helps to make these people that a lot of fans see as icons uh more personable and all in all it's it's really good for virginia tech to relate to a product and the football program. Yeah, you're asking people to donate hundreds of dollars most of the time to hundreds of dollars of their hard-earned money. And, like, they did that um, hard hat series thing with Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson. And that's, like, the first time that anybody had, like, seen Hendon Hooker not out of a, like, 
<laughs> out of game day. And you know, it's not Hinton Hooker's responsibility to do that. That certainly is a student athlete. But um, I think if you're asking people to donate hundreds of dollars, anything you can do to introduce them to the players and get them caring more about the clip about the players just leads them to it seems like an easy jump then to donate some money. So I think that's got to continue now and even through when this quarantine stuff ends and even through next season. The next topic we want to talk about, Ryan Willis may be forgotten about, but he's still out there eyeing NFL dreams. He jumped onto Reddit, another social media platform, if you're familiar with it. It's going to be a while before Fuente gets on Reddit. (laughs) It's going to be a long time before he gets there. Maybe one day, but Ryan Willis jumped on and had an ask me anything so any users could ask him questions. It was people from his time in the Big 12, Virginia Tech fans, NFL fans just asking all about him. The biggest takeaway I had from his responses, he pointed out that his most pro-ready teammate currently on the roster is Brock Hoffman, which continues to make his legend grow because he hasn't played a single snap. And he's talked about as a leader in the hard hat series. Now he's the most pro-ready, according to Ryan Willis, the quarterback of the offense. And all in all, it just seems like Brock Hoffman has to do well for Virginia Tech. It just kind of makes you wonder about what would have happened in 2019 if Hoffman had been eligible. Um, Virginia Tech goes 2-2 two and two in September with a right side of the offensive line that um, was freshman, basically, and was starting Hudson at center there as a freshman by the, by the end of the, I think it was the second or third week. So, um if he's an NFL player, that's quite a big loss and a big hole there to fill for Virginia Tech. But that just means, you know, it's a big addition for next year and figuring out where he's going to play is is a huge, huge thing, assuming, you know, the 2020 season happens. And that's a great question, too, because I'm seeing all this hype build up about Brock Hoffman and looking at the 2019 offensive line. Honestly, I don't have too many complaints. You mentioned it in the beginning of the year is pretty rocky trying to figure out who's going to be the center. But halfway through the season, it seemed like there was a nice gelling of the offensive line. Christian Darisaw, Lasita Smith, Brian Hudson, Doug Nestor, Luke Tenuta, and sometimes Silas DeZanzi. It seemed to work, but if you're bringing in a guy now that we all expect to have a huge impact for this team, you have to wonder, you have to take one of those pieces out. Who would it be in your opinion? Uh, it's got to be one of the interior guys. I think Cornelson talked in that Inside Hookie Sports Q&A. He did basically said that Hoffman's an interior guy, which is expected. So you're looking at is he going to play center? Are you going to move Hudson? Is he going to play one of the guard spots? And you're you're moving Lasita Smith, who will be on his third year as a starter in, in this next season. And then Nestor, who is obviously one of the top recruits for Jane Tech Scott in the last couple of years and played a ton as a true freshman. Um, so there's not an obvious spot for him to slide in there. I think, I think, I think center might be a great spot for him and um center or right guard either i feel like hudson could can move outside to tuck 
to tackle if you need to, or right guard with Nestor. Um, you know, he's got a red shirt available if he's open to that. Um, but I also think, you know, with you're talking, you're basically talking about six or seven offensive linemen. And I don't think it would be that hard to also play all four of them at different spots, but, um, yeah, this is, this is one of the, like, it's one of the big questions, but I don't necessarily think it's like the most consequential question because, you know, if you just stick with Hudson Smith and Nestor next year, you're probably getting some, you're getting better than you were last year and, you know, still doing pretty well. But um, so something interesting, I'm sure Vance Vice is thinking a lot about right now. And I feel really bad for Vance Vice because he repaired the image of the Virginia Tech offensive line room. He brought in a lot of really high-profile recruits. You look at Hudson and Nestor, both of them were four-star freshmen. And, you know, just looking at all the work he's done, all the experience he has in the room, it's a really, really tough puzzle to kind of figure out. And like you were saying about Hudson, it's the case with a lot of these guys in the room, but... Vance Vice prides himself on having versatile linemen in his group. And I think Hudson could be a guy that slides out to right tackle. There could be other players that are slotting in in other positions. So quite honestly, this whole thing could change, uh, which is scary to think about because of the success from last year. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. I think, like you said, uh, Brock Hoffman would be a great fit at center, just knowing that he played there for two years at Coastal Carolina. He's a guy that's clearly a leader, and everyone trusts his opinion. So being the shot caller of the offensive line makes sense. Um, but taking out a guy like Doug Nestor, who, again, you know, four-star guy, uh, national recruit, and kind of hindering his development, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's a trade-off there. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to hinder his development, but, you know, it's, it's not inconceivable that Doug Nestor gets a lot better here over the course of this offseason and then, like, locks down the right guard spot. So, you know, I think particularly when, you know, Hudson's still a 19-year-old sophomore, um, he just kind of figured it out at center. I'm, I'm not sure if when they were evaluating Hudson as a recruit, if they necessarily thought his long-term position was center. So, you know, if if he's a guy that you're envisioning maybe as the future left tackle after Darisol leaves or something like that, maybe he's a guy you start to, you know, you put the most NFL-ready player on the team at center, and then you start to work Hudson, you know, as a backup at, at right tackle or left tackle, and certainly, you know, a backup center. I mean, yeah, just a really good problem to have. I mean, you still got Zachariah Hoyt there. You still got... Awesome cannon there. He's still got a ton of options. And, I mean, <laughs> it's a, you know, Virginia Tech went through some bad offensive lineman years. I mean, I, for, I don't, I forget what year it is. And all due respect to Wade Hansen, but he was a Division three defensive tackle that came in and started playing right tackle for Tech. And now, now you're like, I mean, Tyus Danzi was a, starter at right tackle in 2018 for most of the season and now he's kind of an afterthought um it's a pretty good problem to have i want to switch gears and talk about recruiting anything big happen huge news (laughs) for virginia tech and took all of social media the boards by storm 
Uh, I will mention before we jump into this recruiting segment, there's going to be a lot of names thrown out there. So I understand if you're somewhat new to recruiting that this is going to be hard to follow, but we'll try to make it as simple as possible. And I think for all the recruiting junkies like us uh, that live and die on the board each and every day, this is going to be something that they'll be really thrilled about. But the big news of the week Getting off of these social media stories, some concrete evidence, Virginia Tech landed a four-star wide receiver, Latrell Neville, out of Texas, a guy with 40 offers from schools all over the country. He was trending to Oklahoma for a while, and you know we talked about it in the last podcast, and I kind of went on a rant, but this is one of those types of players that you know, Virginia Tech just is is going to swing for the fences for and luckily found their opportunity. Other schools were dragging their feet somewhat and Virginia Tech said, you have a spot. Let's make it happen. Let's make this class happen. And now, you know, one of the highest ranked commits in this class. Yeah, and he com- committed without ever visiting Virginia Tech, which says a lot about the the message and the buy-in that he had and and um, how good a job the whole Virginia Tech staff did recruiting him. Um, exactly the kind of commit we talked about Trayvon Henderson last last week, and you know Neville is a, a high level four star guy, um, a huge big body wide receiver. I think um, based on the the guys that came on the board right after he committed and shared a little scouting report, he's got some developing to do a wide receiver but he certainly got the tools to be a weapon and not every receiver needs to be like a burner you know he could be a really physical outside wide receiver and be a weapon for virginia tech or if he continues to grow bigger you know he's a guy that can you know if if wide receiver doesn't work out i'm sure he can find a spot for him um but just huge huge for perception for the class overall um as far as Virginia Tech has struggled for years and years now to get traction, particularly in the state of Virginia with the top guys, but also, you know, most of their other targets. I mean, we've everybody knows about all the misses and the second place finishes Virginia Tech's had with top targets. But when you can get a Demetrius Davis and a Latrell Neville from Texas to buy in and say Virginia Tech is is building something, I think it says something to the other top recruits that Virginia Tech is recruiting. Um, And that's probably the biggest thing is that, you know, these guys from Virginia and elsewhere here on the East Coast maybe haven't been thinking, have been, have definitely been thinking that Virginia Tech is not big time enough for them. But then when you look at these guys, I mean, Neville, I saw on Twitter, he has the most offers in the state of from anybody in the state, which of Texas, is crazy, which is crazy. And, and you said Oklahoma was, I mean, he was leading Oklahoma in there for a little bit of time. And it, it's that crazy Texas to Virginia Tech thing. And it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't make any out. sense. It's random. It's weird, but it's working. Um, and you don't need to have a ton of Texas kids. You find the guys that whatever Virginia Tech is selling resonates with and you build from there. And I think it sends a message to the other guys um, like Kelvin Gilliam types, Nyquan Brown types that, you know, those guys grew up around Virginia Tech. They know Virginia Tech and that's arguably hurt Virginia Tech in terms of when, 
when an LSU or an Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State comes in that, you know, Virginia Tech's not big time enough. And getting these huge out-of-state targets like this has kind of completely, like, flips that narrative on them. And you start going to Richmond, you start going to the 757, and maybe you have a little more traction, I think. Yeah, and huge credit to Bo Davidson and Adam Lechtenberg. I think they're doing a tremendous job right now on the trail for Virginia Tech. The ace in the hole, and Bo knows. But, you know, these two guys, as as much as it seems like it's so random for a kid out of Texas to just automatically join Virginia Tech, not even visiting, you have to think that these two guys have so many ties to Texas. They've worked there for years. They've recruited out of there for years, built this massive network, and really understand you know, what these kids want out of a program. And they're doing a really good job of selling that to the kids. And I think, you know, huge credit to Demetrius Davis as well, because he's really the, he's the queen on the chessboard right now that everyone's looking at and rallying around. And I think without him, you're really not talking about Neville having any interest at all in Virginia Tech, but knowing who his quarterback's going to be, knowing that he's an elite guy that has found success at the highest of levels at in Texas, really, you know, helped him. And he's understanding that if he wants to go somewhere and he has one of the best quarterbacks out of this class, you know, it's a win-win for both of them. There's no doubt Davis's commitment is, you know, quite possibly the biggest commitment since probably Tyrod Taylor's commitment um, in terms of I mean I don't think Virginia Tech necessarily gets involved with any of the defensive ends that they got late last class or um, Neville this class Landon Watson this class without I mean it's that even the David like Neville is a crazy story in itself, but Davis, like he's the two time <laughs> state champion quarterback in the state of Texas, like the Mecca of high school football and just a factory for, I mean, Mac Brown built Texas team after Texas team on literally just Texas kids. Um, so just, I mean, yeah, it's an incredible thing and Neville. And if they get Landon Watson, you know, it kind of feels like it gives Davis's commitment more of a more a little more backing. I mean, I think if you you look at if you just took Davis alone and that was all you got out of Texas, it's kind of a blimp. It's kind of a you, know, you don't really get that momentum, and people just you know people in Virginia, New Jersey, and North Carolina, and on the East Coast, you know, it's a kind of a one-off thing. And I think when you start to add guys from Texas around Davis, I think it makes a much bigger impression on, on the rest of the board. And I'm really excited about what this Neville commitment means. And you can even date back to the Demetrius Davis commitment, but so many times Virginia tech class after class is involved in the top fives of a lot of four star guys. And it seems like they're trending well, but for whatever reason, they're always the bridesmaid at the wedding and they never quite get the commitment out of this top guy that they're after for so long. And I think what's really special about this 2021 class is finally they're starting to put these pieces together that first it's Davis, then Neville says, I want to join. And then you can look at these other guys, Landon Watson out of Texas, that may be the next domino to fall here. And for once, it's not just, 
we have these silent commits and we're waiting for them to go public one day. And hopefully if they all do it around the same time, they'll realize this is an elite class that they want to join. But it's like they're finally getting that push to get these guys to commit publicly to honor their commitments. And all in all, it seems like it has a lot more reason for success because all these guys want to join on to this program. They're looking at Virginia Tech now, and they're a top 20 recruiting class. These other guys are looking at it and saying, if I go there, I know for a fact I have a quarterback and a top-tier wide receiver. Could I be the next guy? And I think that's the most exciting part about it all. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to land not all your top guys, clearly, because that's just not realistic, but to land a couple guys that you're really excited about before the season starts and hopefully there's a season, but I think when you can, you know, you're, you talked about having Davis and Neville now in the boat and, you know, if Virginia Tech can, can win games in the fall and have a successful season, hopefully there is a season in the fall, but just theoretically saying there is, you can now that you have the foundation of the class that, certainly has caught the eye of other people, other t- top recruits on your board. And now they might not make their decision until later, maybe even in December or, or beyond. But I think when you can go to games with um, kind of the, the star attractions already on board, I think that is a much easier sell than, you know, I think Virginia Tech's top recruits over the last few years, you look at like Nestor and Ho- and Dax Hollyfield and, Devin Hunter take until you know those were late signee guys um, so you can get these guys on board I know Virginia Tech was hoping to get a big visit weekend on June 19th I feel that who knows if that'll ever happen but you know you can kind of start to plan out a, a, a more effective visit when you can when you can bring in a Davis or a Neville or whoever else um to, to talk to also talk to these other guys that they're recruiting. So this is all about perception with the rest of the board, basically in that. And that's why these, that's why Davis feels like he committed so long ago. And then, and now Neville are, are huge. And side note, I got to say one of my favorite parts of the past week, two commitments, Will Johnson and now Latrell or Latrell Neville, they both signed off their commitments with Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University. There's no better way, no better thing than when a recruit nails it, and both of them nailed it. Um, hats off to them. Just put them, put them in the starting lineup already. Whatever. <laughs> and it might, it might be a silly point, but it leads me to believe that they're actually buying in. They're listening to these messages and obviously they're committing. So they're buying in, but you know, a a lot of times we've seen other guys, Cameron Kelly saying committed to the Virginia tech university. And then two weeks later he decommits. So I I, I think this is a good sign for the future. Well, let's not forget Tyrod Taylor said Virginia tech university. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, times have changed. Yeah. Times have changed. But I mean, when you can nail the official, um, proper, whatever you want to call it, name of the university just shows an extra level of, of planning and care. These are the right guys. Attention to detail. If they can, if they can nail VPISU right now, then they're going to, they're going to, they're going to pick up, the playbook 
really quickly. They're going <laughs> to be digesting the game plan every week. I mean, you might as well just book them in the starting lineup early in their career. That's no, I... reading too much into it, maybe a little <laughs> bit, but whatever. It's somewhat fair, though. At the end of the day, that is somewhat fair. I do want to preview some of the crystal ball selections moving forward. We're talking about momentum. April is going to be a very busy month. Neville's just the beginning, guys. It's going to get a lot spicier in the coming days, weeks, maybe even tonight. But Spicier. Spicier. So this is absolutely insane what I'm about to say. But the latest crystal balls, there's five of them. Naquan Brown, four-star defensive end from the 757, Virginia. Him alone would absolutely make Virginia Tech fans happy. Then you had in Landon Watson, who we covered, a four-star defensive end from Texas. You're talking about your two defensive ends in this class. Amari Huggins, Bruce, a name we haven't really shared too much on this podcast, but is an electric Wide receiver out of South Carolina, a slot guy, tremendous production, almost a four-star. Jack Hollyfield, the younger brother of Dax Hollyfield, a three-star athlete out of North Carolina. And then TJ Quinn, a three-star defensive back out of Georgia, a hard-hitting safety. Could play cornerback, but probably going to be a safety. Anyways, those five names, all you need to know, have received crystal ball projections in the last two days, five guys on Virginia Tech's top of the top of the board have received these crystal balls. Now, the insane part about all of this, if you add all five of those guys, let's say they commit sometime this month, that would push Virginia Tech to the number five spot in the 24-7 sports class rankings. A top five recruiting class at any point has to be a win. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that would be um, that would be quite unique, I think, in Virginia Tech history. Uh, the the only other time I can think of that being close was this was before your time, uh, 2005. Virginia Tech played Miami, this is the biggest game in Virginia Tech history. They had literally everybody on campus: Gerald McCoy, Lashawn McCoy just loaded class and then Marcus Vick turned it over six times and Tech got smoked 27-7 and that was the end of that. I don't think Virginia Tech's probably been that high since then um, in the recruiting class rankings. So, I mean, you're talking about you pairing Huggins-Bruce with Neville at wide receiver. You talk about Brown and Watson as two of the top defensive end targets that you're getting. Um, It's a little TNT. Um, clearly, Hollyfield, you're cleaning up with the with the family history. Probably throw Stroman in there at some point. Um, T.J. Quinn, then a, a, de- a defensive back that clearly they really like out of Georgia. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was when was that Mo- Monday Sunday night Monday night? It was the night after before Fuente or night after Fuente did this thing on Twitter, and then all of a sudden Neville commits and. <laughs> then the crystal balls start flipping for these guys. Um, it's a fun night in terms of when there's nothing else going on particularly, but um, yeah, you just start wondering what could be with this class. Um, so clearly there's still a lot of work to do a long way to go for a lot of these guys. But um, I think when you're, when you're talking about, like I said last week, 
you know, you might not land your number one guy, but you better land your number two and three guys as opposed to numbers five and six on your board. And, you know, I think these guys right here are clearly um, the top guys on the at their positions. You know, I, I know Virginia Tech missed on Henderson and Wyatt Millam to West Virginia, but um, you can kind of go on this little run heading into the summer where cross your fingers hopefully we can get back on the field at some points um following that i think that's a this is a big push especially when virginia tech went from november to last week without a commitment and it's so exciting too and i'm not saying you know virginia tech it is going to finish top 10 or top 15 but even having a class ranked in the top five out of all these universities in division one football is a huge perception movement. And like we were talking about before with Neville and Davis, it pushes these other elite guys to start looking at Virginia Tech. And I don't mean every five star is going to all of a sudden drop what they're doing and start looking at Virginia Tech. But I think it would influence guys like Tristan Lee, uh, a five-star offensive lineman out of Virginia who unlike Henderson, had very serious interest in Virginia Tech, or has. And, you know, all the major programs are after him. But when you start to piece together this class and this class so early that they're looking at these guys and saying, I can suit up right with them. And it's fun, too, because this is a projection for the future. And, you know, if all these dominoes begin to fall and you're talking about all these guys in the class at once and, you know, down the road signing on signing day that, you know, this is a class that will probably be in the top 20 if all these guys commit. And then you're talking about, you know, Virginia tech being on the cusp of something great in 2021, 2022 and further down the road. Yeah. And we, I mean, we talk a lot about, we've talked a ton about perception this, this podcast, but it's, it's a big chunk of recruiting, particularly for a program like Virginia Tech's level, where it's very easy to get looked over as not being big enough for a lot of these guys, as we've seen over the last several years. But you talk about perception and what it's doing for Maryland um, under Mike's Lo- Mike Loxley. You're, I mean, that was a that's a program that still hasn't won any games, um, and just just the perception that Loxley's recruiting well is leading them to. I mean, he is recruiting well, but one thing builds on another. And then you look at a program like Carolina. Everybody knows what they're doing on the recruiting trail, and they're still a team, they're still a program that went six and six last year. I mean, we talked about Virginia Tech as a program that went six and six and eight and four. You know, North Carolina went two and ten and six and six, but Mac Brown's completely turned around that that message and that perception of that program. So I think, you know, if you can if you can start to land these these upper level four stars um talk about hugging spruce kind of be on the borderline four stars i mean that's this is the kind of talent that um that you that people have wanted virginia tech to pull for a long amount of time and it just sets up it sets up a fall where virginia tech is you know <laughs> we talk we, everybody knows virginia tech finished a second for a ton of top prospects but if you can if you can lay the groundwork around them win the games in the fall. Um, I think you've got a much better chance with guys like Neville and Davis and then 
if they add Brown, Watson, Huggins, Bruce, Hollyfield, and Quinn here, um, that's a big, particularly at a time like this where it's so dead. It's like there's nothing going on. I mean, recruiting and horse racing are the two things going on right <laughs> now. So it's like, it's you know, what do, what, what are people paying attention to and what are high school recruits paying attention to? Um, they're certainly not paying attention to horse racing, I can tell you that. So um, big big month ahead um it was going to be a big month anyway if tech had a spring game but i mean nobody knows what's happening right now with the coronavirus and everything everybody's nobody knows when people are going to be visiting anymore nobody knows what's going on in the season so it's it's pretty much recruiting only and guys trying to secure their spots so i think you could see a little bit a little bit of movement in that sense here in the spring yeah, and before we jump into questions, just a final remark on it all. It's just nice because, you know, I've, I've been doing this now for going on six years, and it's just nice to finally see <laughs> that Virginia Tech is building this hype and actually, you know, converting it into something. And, you know, so many times I could talk about the Josh Sweats and uh, different guys that Virginia Tech is so high on, but nothing ever happens. And it's just, it's, it's going to be really exciting to see. Um, it's, I'm sure the, we'll... it's the message that Virginia Tech has been selling for years that Virginia Tech is close to being, or Virginia Tech is a step or two below than Alabama, Ohio State where any top prospect can go there and can go to those programs with a whole bunch of other really top prospects. But if you want to come to Virginia Tech, and Neville, Neville said this when he committed, if you, like, if you want to go to Virginia Tech, you have a chance to be a part of the class that, that basically takes Virginia Tech either back to the level they were, you could argue, in the 2000s or up, up another notch into that you know, competing with Clemson territory. So, you know, it's the message that Virginia Tech has worked so hard to sell to so many kids for so long. And um, I know it felt really good for the staff to have it, to have it connect with Davis a long time ago and then Neville this week. Jumping into questions. The first one from Hustle of 43. How many commits do you see popping in the class in the next few weeks? I will say in the month of April, I'm going to go with over two. I know that there's a, f a few that are silent right now, and it's not our place to say who they are, or when they'll do it, because ultimately it's up to them. But there are a few guys that at any given point can say, you know, I'm going public tonight. This is what it is. The staff knows who they are. And I think when, you know, it becomes public, it will probably be this month. Yeah, I think over two seems a good bet. You're talking about a couple silence, a couple planned guys that they've been waiting on for a while. I guess you over two pretty easy. Um, and then I think if you keep a little momentum up, you maybe convince a you know somebody that's maybe not as highly touted, but Virginia Tech's been recruiting for a long time to hop on board. So I think you know in the next few weeks we'll call that through the end of May or the beginning of May. Um, yeah, I think you'll see a couple more. Yeah, and I know people will be upset with us for not sharing details about who these guys are, and they just want to find out who is the next guy, who's silent, who's this and that. You know, 
I think it's pretty telling if you look at some of the crystal ball trends, but all in all, it's their moment. They only get it once. So I would just leave it to them. I think you'll be excited no matter when. Look, we're not doing anything for the next few weeks. Uh, just sit back and enjoy the ride for now. Uh, the second question from WB Hokie. How many Virginia kids will Virginia Tech land in this cycle? <laughs> um, it's Look, it's going to be a full boat. It's going to be a full 25-ish. So, I mean, they're going to take... 12? I, don't, I mean, it's like more than that. Um, at this point, it's hard to tell, I think, with, you know, we're talking about a handful of guys and the, out of the crystal ball guys, just brown is from. Um, yeah, just one so, of one of the five. So, so there's got to be um, some more coming from everywhere, obviously, to recruiting guys like Kelvin Gilliam. Um, so I don't know. Half yeah. the class, it feels like it feels like that's a safe number that Virginia Tech would get to. Um, kid like Stroman probably gets you another one there. So, um, yeah, twelve. I'll go twelve. Yeah, I'm not sure where to go with this one, and obviously, I know a lot of longtime Virginia Tech fans would say they want to see you know all the elite talent out of Virginia coming to Virginia Tech, seeing the entire team represented by Virginia natives, but. I mean, we're we're seeing now the emphasis on North Carolina, guys out of South Carolina, Texas, uh, Maryland. There's all these different territories that Virginia Tech is finding success with. And it's interesting because if you compare Davis and Neville to guys that are currently in the top 10 of Virginia, you know, they would be near the top of the list. So I think Virginia Tech is just showing that their blueprint isn't really a specific place. It Obviously, it should be an emphasis on Virginia, but if they either don't find someone that they're looking for in Virginia or just, you know, they're not just going to recruit Virginia guys just to get them on board. So honestly, it could be anywhere from five to like you said, 12, I, I really don't know which direction it's going to go. And I think a lot of these guys are contingent on this hype remaining and these dominoes continuing to fall because then, you know, they may run out of space and need to secure a commitment. I agree. <laughs> Hokies Runo. Will the logical thinkers on the board think the staff can actually recruit after this class? Now I have to say, a lot was made about the move from Zon Burden not being retained, Adam Lechtenberg switching over to running backs coach. And I got to say, in the short amount of time, even though he hasn't even coached, you know, a single spring or summer or fall practice, Adam Lechtenberg on the trail is a major coup for Virginia Tech. He's the primary recruiter on a lot of these guys, Davis, Neville, Watson, He's doing a very good job getting Virginia Tech into the conversation. And I have to say, already it's just been one cycle, and I, I feel like he's already an upgrade in the recruiting department. It's an interesting side note there on Lechtenberg. You wonder how much of an impact. Clearly he's got a position to coach now, but you know people thought he was just the Juco guy for so long, but you wonder how much of an impact him not having a position to coach allowed him to to go into Texas to go 
you know, all over the country and build relationships that are probably paying off for him now. So, um, you know, I think it, I think a lot, I'll, I'll keep saying this, a lot of this is still going to have to depend on what happens this season. I mean, if Virginia Tech doesn't win games, the staff probably isn't in place next year. Um, I think it's fair to say Virginia Tech goes yeah. six and six or seven and five next year. I mean, you know, none of the coaches are here. Um, so a lot, you know, a lot to go, a long ways to go there and all that stuff. But, um, I mean, there's, there's no doubting the impact that guy like Bo Davidson has made or that Lechtenberg has made over the last few months. Um, and clearly there's also a subset of uh, highly rated prospects that really like Justin Fuente, um, which a lot of people didn't think so either. So, um, yeah, I think I think this staff can recruit well enough to – to win enough games to take Virginia Tech, then you're not going to jump. I mean, I brought up Maryland earlier. Mike Mike Loxley is not going to take Maryland from a bottom dweller in the Big Ten to the top of the Big Ten without winning four games, six games. It, like, there's going to be a progression, and Virginia Tech has to do the exact same thing. Break femur, unfortunate username on the site. Hopefully he doesn't break his femur here but will virginia tech land two five stars or just one this cycle now this is major aspirations for any fan of any program uh i'm gonna try to take this one seriously demetrius i think has a very realistic chance of becoming a five star i know uh the other site we do not want to name our rival i will say uh is thinking about bumping up davis to a five star and the way the composite works, it's a collection of all these different recruiting sites and taking all the averages into place. So I think he could very well become a five star. So I'll count that as one. And then the second, if there is another, obviously Henderson, Ohio State, I think it could be Tristan Lee. I still think there's a minor chance at pulling him. I would say it's probably like a 20% chance at the moment. Um, but obviously with all this momentum, if it continues to unfold in Virginia Tech's favor, I think, you know, he'll really listen to Virginia Tech. He has a lot of ties to the school, uh, currently trending to Clemson. But, you know, I think Virginia Tech will be on him till the end. And I would say those would be the two names, I would say, for five stars. Yeah, I think Davis could get there. I think Lee is clearly tough. I mean, going head-to-head with Clemson on its own is tough, but we talked earlier about the depth that Virginia Tech has on the offensive line also, and I think that makes it a tougher sell. I mean, I'm sure Clemson has a ton of depth there with highly recruited guys everywhere, basically, but it's a lot easier for Clemson to recruit over guys, basically, than it is for Virginia Tech um, to convince a five-star who's also talking to all the other top programs to to commit without a clear path to playing time. Um, so that's that's my main worry there when you're talking about <laughs> if you're going to be able to win a battle over a program like Clemson. The next question from JK Man 12 Are these commitments surprises? Does it change or raise the ceiling of this recruiting class? Now, I will say, in regards to Latrell Neville, he was not a surprise. And Personally, I was very excited because for a few days, 
you know, we knew that he was going to commit to Virginia Tech. It was only a matter of time of when he would do it. So just seeing the fan base's reaction was incredible. Um, but in regards to uh, the ceiling of this recruiting class, you know, clearly we've been talking about it the whole time that if all these guys jump on board, it's a projection for the future. If they're a top 20 recruiting class with all these guys jumping onto the boat, I think it absolutely raises the ceiling of the program. And you're talking about, you know, whether it's just getting to 10 wins consistently or competing with the likes of Clemson on an annual basis. I think if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you take that no matter what. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier about the perception thing. And I think that, I mean, these commitments definitely raise the ceiling if you're going to talk about whether Virginia Tech is now landing Landon Watson, Nyquan Brown, and, um, you know, a guy like um, the kid I mentioned earlier, uh, Gilliam. Like, if if all of a sudden things change with him and Virginia Tech um, is a favorite there, yeah, you go from... You know, probably on the outside looking in for a number of these guys that you've been recruiting hard for a year now um, to, to start to get some traction with them. So I think, you know, anytime you can land a, a high four star guy like Neville, um, it, it helps. Hokies Runo, if we had to remove either tap or tier link, who would more negatively impact recruiting? Do they have to be a duo? little bit of a pessimistic take here. Um, but certainly, I mean, to be fair to Hokies Runo, this could be something we see down the line uh, eventually with two coaches at the defensive line position. Yeah, Tierlink's had a full career, and um, if he does a good job, he'll obviously have opportunities to move up the ladder, I think. Um, who would more negatively impact recruiting? Uh, probably... <laughs> it's tough. I feel like I feel like Tat would because of his. He was Virginia, Virginia Tech because of his Virginia ties and all that stuff. Uh, but Tierlink, I mean, everything we've heard about him being like, I mean, he's an NFL defensive line coach, which is incredibly appealing to a lot of defensive linemen. So um, I don't think they have to be a duo at all to have success. You know, TNT could just be T or T, and I think. Virginia Tech would still recruit pretty well with them, um, but I think it's I think it's tough to decide who would have a more negative impact. I think you know maybe maybe in the immediate future it's Tierlink because Virginia Tech hasn't had any NFL success at defensive line, and they kind of need that to talk about perception some more. Change that perception with defensive line recruits is half that NFL. So if like Tierlink leaves after one year without producing any defensive NFL defensive linemen, Virginia Tech still got that same issue long term. But um Tap, I think everybody's really high on him as a recruiter and a coach for the long term too. And I think it's, you know, the second part of the question, do they have to be a duo? I think that's really important because we're seeing that the biggest priority of the offseason was to ensure that the defensive line gets a ton of production and recruits very well. And I think in order to do that, you need a guy that has all the coaching experience and then a guy that's played. Uh, I liked what they said under the headset and inside the helmet. Uh, just Justin Hamilton talking about these two. And I think it's so important to have both of them right now. 
And obviously, if you lose Tap, you're losing a, a legacy of Virginia Tech, a guy that's you know seen the heights of the program. And if you're losing Tierlink, you're losing you know one of the bigger fish out there that has coached in the NFL. So obviously, right now you don't want to lose either. But I think if you're looking at this realistically down the line, uh, you know, if these guys are able to find success with a guy like Watson or Brown and ultimately they pan out, go to the NFL, you're looking at either other schools approaching tier link for a defensive coordinator position, maybe moves back to the NFL. And I think by that point, Tap will both have the NFL playing experience and the coaching of tier link under his wing. And I think. You know, that's probably where this is all going to, you know, end up uh, And you know, I don't know when it will be, maybe in five years, maybe in four years, who knows. But I think that's where this ends up. I think it's hard to understate what Tierlink's knowledge technically as a coach will do for TAP. I know TAP clearly has a ton of NFL experience playing wise, but as far as learning how to be a coach, learning how to day-to-day develop a player. Um, I think this is huge for, for him to have tier link with him here as he gets started. The next question from Kenny Powers 2014. He wants to know where's the next commit. That's creative. It's not who's the next commit, but which position group will it be? I'm going with wide receiver here. Um, I think there's a ton of options on the table. We mentioned Amari Huggins-Bruce because he received the crystal ball um, in the past two days, but there's some other guys that Virginia Tech also wants to get in the boat, and I think Virginia Tech is aiming for about four wide receivers, and currently they have one, so I'm going with wide receiver. I think that's a position they definitely want to lock down early. I think it'll be either the wide receiver from South Carolina, Huggins-Bruce, or I'll say uh, the defensive back from Georgia. Uh, I like Quinn. it. Um, Hokies Runo once again. Are either of you worried about Neville's lack of a junior year production? Now, I have to say you mentioned this before, and I knew this question was coming up, so kind of brazed over it. But for a little context... Uh, Latrell Neville, the four-star wide receiver that just committed, had a monster sophomore year in Texas, transferred to a different high school, and all of a sudden, you know, wasn't seeing the ball too much. His high school offense was very run-heavy, and his production just simply wasn't there. And to answer this question, if I'm worried about that, I'm not at all. I think if you look at a sophomore tape, it's amazing. Um, but even if you throw that out of the window... The biggest jump for a lot of these recruits is usually from their junior to their senior year. And I think production is good if you're talking about a guy like Davis, who's undersized at the position and you need more information to back him up and assert him as a top guy. Whereas you're looking at a six foot three, 200 pound wide receiver with all the raw tools, all the raw traits. I mean, you're you're talking about placing him on a Virginia Tech offense that is set to be very good for the foreseeable future. It's all about your situations and kind of bring this back to Brock Hoffman. You're talking about a two-year starter at Coastal Carolina, and sure, he could be amazing for Coastal Carolina for four years, 
all of a sudden you bring him to Virginia Tech and he's the leader. He's a guy that's the most NFL ready guy. So I think a lot of this depends on your situation. Yeah, I think it's a good, I mean, yes, that it's a concern, I think a little bit, but I mean, you talked about it moving, moving schools, moving offenses. It's the same thing you would expect at any level um, going from one offense to another. But like you said, he's physically there. Um, he would maybe have a little more concern if he was a, a smaller guy that tore it up as a sophomore and you're trying to project his actual physical growth into like a, a power five level player. But I mean, he's there as he's there physically and he's got another year, um, probably two years before he makes it a huge impact on the field to continue to develop physically. So I think, you know, as far as you piece together, you know, what Virginia Tech is doing at wide receiver in the future, and you're looking at him as a big outside guy, if they get Huggins Bruce, you're looking at him as kind of the, the quick, quicker slot guy. Um, you can kind of see where they're going there, but I don't think him as a athletically, he's, I mean, he's, he's there. So, um, you know, I think, Again, you're talking about Texas high school football being, you know, among the top, the top talent, the top competition levels. So certainly playing there doesn't hurt him um, now that he's moved schools. Um, so I think it's a, you know, I don't, I don't have many concerns, but he's physically there enough to, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like they're they're going to give him all the development time at wide receiver, but he also I mean, he's 6'3", 200 now as a, what, 17-year-old high school senior? Or Must heading be nice. Into, heading into his high school senior year. I mean, once Ben Hilgart gets a hold of him, um, I mean, I think he's he's going to be fine. Casby wants to know, has Virginia Tech reached a turning point in the fan base's perception of Fuente and company? I'll answer quickly and say probably not. Um, he's got to win a, a few more games to really lock it down. I think, you know, one Twitter, um, Twitter, one Twitter or whatever, and a commitment probably doesn't do enough. Um, but, I mean, I think it shows that the message they're selling and the progress that they've made from 2018 to 2019 to right now is probably for you. Um, so, you know, he's going in the right direction but it's fragile i'd say <laughs> yeah and like we were talking about with the hard hat series with more fan interaction obviously not calling it for every single day but just putting themselves out there a bit more and starting to see you know more success on the recruiting trail i think it's definitely the first step but like you said you gotta win once you have all those things in place you gotta win all right the next question. I'm excited for this question. From Balcony Cup. What is the average time you submit a crystal ball after Evan does? I calculated 27 seconds. So. That's impressive. A crystal ball. I mean, everyone knows what a crystal ball is. It's a projection for where a kid is, is most likely to end up. And this one is a bit interesting because I think. When you look at crystal balls, it's it's like, okay, who put it in? Where is this prospect going to go? But I think behind the scenes, there's a lot more to it. And there's conversations that we have with 
specific recruits saying, you know, we're thinking about doing this on this day. And, you know, we told the staff we're coming here, but I don't want you guys to put anything out there. And obviously we're going to respect that and maybe not put out a crystal ball. You know, two days later, that same recruit may tell Evan or I, okay, it's good now. I don't care. You know, I'm committing tomorrow. And, you know, we just have to make sure that we're compliant with everything. And usually there's a conversation between Evan and I. And, you know, a lot of these times I don't want to break anything out there uh, that shouldn't be out there. So uh, we have those conversations. And look, if he does it first, whatever, you know, it's just a tool to have a little bit of fun. Uh, So I'll let him bask in the glory of having the first crystal ball. It's unfortunate I'm 27 seconds behind him. But, you know, that's the way... The cookie crumbles, and he's the boss man. So I gotta, I gotta honor him. Just fall in line. <laughs> Hustler forty three. More about crystal balls. Who are you close to putting in a crystal ball for? Doug, we gotta get you a crystal ball, man. I don't want a crystal ball at all. All right, we don't <laughs> gotta get you a crystal ball. <laughs> all right, uh, me specifically. I wish Evan were on here, um, but I think. Joshua Burrell, a three-star wide receiver out of South Carolina, and his twin brother, Jordan Burrell, who's a safety uh, three-star defensive back. I think they would both be my next crystal ball. I think they're trending in the right direction. Virginia Tech clearly is going to have a massive class. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny that they're trending right now to have 10 guys by the end of April uh, in total. And I think last year by... December they might have had 10 to 12 so clearly this is going to be something that's 25 maybe even more uh, commitments this cycle and I think there's clearly enough room for uh, Joshua and Jordan Burrell who both claim offers from Virginia Tech they both expressed interest in wanting to play together and quickly we're seeing that wide receiver room and defensive back room fill up so I think those two could be very likely candidates. I agree with you. Nice. <laughs> D. Shonder. I hope I said that correctly. What is Tracy Clay's up to? Uh, <laughs> Udo Tracy Clay himself is up to individually, but I think all the coaches, every coach in the country is kind of kind of doing the same thing. They're, um, you know, I know Virginia Tech staff does Zoom meetings and virtual meetings and all that stuff. But I mean, they're they're checking on the current players, you know, making sure they're they're doing well in school, um, recruiting and scouting twenty twenty opponents. I mean, there's not really anything else for them to do. I think the one interesting part of this question is it brings up: Does it hurt Virginia Tech? this season to not have a spring practice with the defensive changes. Um, it's certainly a, a legitimate question considering there's two new defensive line coaches, a new linebackers coach and a new defensive backs coach and a new defensive coordinator who have never been on the field together coaching, who have never coached their own position groups at Virginia tech that have never ran a practice at Virginia tech. And that's what the spring practice was supposed to be for. So you know, I think, I think that's that's a, you know, clearly this is more than what what is Tracy Clay's up to, but it's just a, you know, one of the side effects of the situation we're in right now is if if Virginia Tech lost 
all of spring practice. If there's not a mini camp before a fall camp or whatever, if there's not like two camps before the season, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting question of whether like the first two weeks of whatever one camp leads up to the season are kind of a lost, lost cause as like players figure out what Justin Hamilton is like as a defensive coordinator and how Tracy Clay's coaches and all that stuff. So, you know, I don't know, just an interesting thought I had reading that question. Yeah. And I was just thinking about it as you, as you were giving your take, but you know, he's one of the newest hires, but correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's the oldest member of the coaching staff. So we're seeing this, this effort for a lot of these guys, Fuente, Cornelson, Hamilton, uh, you know, Daryl Tapp, Bo, I mean, all these guys really just jumping onto Twitter and everyone's in a quarantine and kind of looking at their tweets, no matter what it is, whether it's generic or not, and saying, okay, well, they're doing something. Well, I think because he's one of the oldest guys, maybe he doesn't know how to use Twitter. Maybe he's just not interested because he was a an associate head coach. He was a defensive coordinator for a long time. He's been in the game for a while. So just because he may not be out there on social media platforms, I don't think that means he's just sitting back on his couch and watching Netflix. I think he's still doing... Uh, his role in recruiting, we talked about Jack Hollyfield could end up at linebacker. Uh, I'm sure he's on him a whole lot and, uh, you know, just keeping up with, with his guys in the room. <laughs> if you, No one thought Tracy Clays was going to be a personality, <laughs> <laughs> particularly on Twitter. Um, he's an ex- a very, very experienced coach who can really lend a hand for a very inexperienced defensive coordinator and... You know, when you're talking about selling linebackers on the idea of coming to play for a guy that coached, that was a defensive coordinator, a head coach in the Power Five for a long, really long time. I think that's a, it's a decent sell. Um, I don't think he's, but he's definitely not going to um, be your ace recruiter, <laughs> Bo Davidson, it up on Twitter anytime soon. Last two questions. The first one from McGrady Ming. I'm wondering if it's uh, Tracy that's McGrady a, and that's a Houston yeah, Rockets or Houston guy. Sure. We've been talking yeah. a, lot, a lot about Texas two VT. So I think uh, Bo <laughs> Davidson claimed another in McGrady Ming. Um, but he wants to know which will be better the team defense against the run or the team defense against the pass for next season. I'm going to go ahead and say the team defense against the pass. You're talking about a loaded secondary. Uh, you know, you have Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, Devon Diablo. Will it be Devon Hunter or J.R. Walker? It could be a, a whole bunch of guys there. But anyways, you have two lockdown corners. You have a proven safety. And then you're you're putting someone else in there. Honestly, I don't know how they're going to align, but... Uh, that's already your formula for success on the back end. Whereas on the defensive line, I'm not sure which way tap and tier link are going to take it, how they'll play uh, certain guys. Do they want to go for more size and maybe take out a guy like Norrell Pollard? I don't know. So there, I think there's too many questions on the defensive line. And I think a lot of those questions have already been answered in the defensive backfield. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, I think the defense improved, the rush defense in particular, improved a decent amount 
from 2018 to 2019. I mean, guys are just getting older and more experienced. And I think that would continue in 2020 or this next upcoming season. But I, yeah, I still think it's the, the past. If, you're, if Farley and Waller are healthy and at the top of their game, I mean, they were already the strength of the defense last season. I think there's no doubt that um, they would be the strength of the defense again this season. I know um, reading Bill Connolly, who's a big advanced stats guy at ESPN, did a does an article every year about returning production and what is most impactful or valuable to projecting a defense in the next year. And it's it's heavily in favor of past defense in the secondary, the returning production in the secondary you have coming back versus the returning production up front. Um, so I think for sure it would be Farley Waller, Diablo, Hunter. You covered it, those guys. Um, then we talked, last question about the spring practice hurting a defense like this, but when you think about the specific Virginia Tech situation, this spring was that Farley and Waller were not going to be available. So if you theoretically get like a mini camp and then a break and then a full fall camp before the season starts and now all of a sudden Farley and Waller are back healthy and they they essentially get the spring practice that they were going to miss, you know, that's an interesting possibility where all of a sudden this kind of works out for them a little farther. The last question from Tad80659. Out of the realistic top recruits we have a chance at receiving a commitment from, who are you most high on and who do you think has the highest ceiling? I will go ahead and start first, and I'll say a guy we've talked a bunch about tonight, Amari Huggins-Bruce, three-star speedster wide receiver from South Carolina. I think when you're talking about an ideal guy for the staff, They've so many times they've targeted these guys that are around six feet slot receivers that have a ton of speed and just can make a difference on the offense. You're talking about whether it's a jet sweep, you know, simple slant route or just taking the top off of a defense. I think he's a guy that can do all three and really fits in with what Virginia Tech is trying to do. They're trying to be explosive. And um, I, I truly think, you know, you pair him with a Neville and maybe another possession receiver on the outside and you just have pure speed on the inside. He's a guy that can run by a lot of people. He's a guy that, you know, is, has put up a ton of production at his high school. And quite honestly, I know he's only ranked three star, but he's, he's on the cusp of becoming a four star. And I think he would be a tremendous addition. You talk about, having Tavion Robinson in the slot currently, and you're seeing what he can do on uh, punt returns in the slot. And he's a guy that, you know, we joke around and say he's a fast four, eight, four, nine type of runner. You know, Huggins Bruce is a four, three, four, four kind of guy. So, you know, maybe two steps faster than a Tavion Robinson and uh, playing legitimate competition. So I think anytime you're bringing in, in a guy like that, that can, completely open up your offense it's a huge win i think it's on huggins bruce in particular i think it's really telling how early virginia tech got in on him and how hard they the first how hard they've continued to recruit them it shows how high they are on him as a prospect um i'm gonna take the easy way out here and say demetrius davis 
at quarterback. Um, I think when you talk about, you know, all his Texas success and all that stuff is certainly impressive as a two-time state champion. You watch his highlight film. He's electric with the ball in his hands. His size is clearly the knock on him as weather. But, I mean, there's been plenty of short um, college quarterbacks that have success. When you're that athletically gifted, I think you've, you know, I think I think you have a, a pretty good chance regardless. And you throw in the fact that he's been the starting quarterback at, at the highest level of high school football, basically, for for three years now. And then I think you throw it on top of the way the Virginia Tech quarterback depth chart is set up. Whether it's Hendon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister, Quincy Patterson, you're looking at a situation where Davis doesn't necessarily have to come in and play before he's ready. You know, I think he's a maybe he plays a little bit as a freshman kind of guy. I don't know if he's a four game guy or you know, full season as a backup, getting reps so he's ready as a true sophomore kind of guy. But, um, you know, he's a guy that you can pretty much, I think it's fair to say, pencil him in as a potential 2022-2023 starter after a year of development and growth and all that stuff that you get as your first year in college. I think that I think the situation for Davis is excellent, and I think his, his athleticism is athleticism speaks for itself but when you add in you know the that he's not going to be rushed he's got a chance to kind of marinate and learn the system and get some experience in you know low pressure situations i think is a real possibility this is getting way ahead of us Um, (laughs) that's all we can do ponder but he's a three years i don't know it's coronavirus this is all we can do is think about this stuff but he's a three-year starter basically um spends a year behind Hendon Hooker behind maybe spends two years behind Quincy Patterson at most um but then he takes over and, and you know quarterback is the most important position on the field for a reason it's the position that can completely change a program um you look at what Deshaun Watson did at Clemson um Look at what like Tim Tebow did at Florida, taking over for Chris Leak. Those kind of situations, and just compared Demetrius Davis to Tim Tebow. But um, like, I praise <laughs> when you when you like when you're a quarterback and you're that level. I mean, that's why landing a top elite quarterback is so important, and that's what Virginia Tech's done. And I think, you know, I think you have to be really, really excited about what he's going to do. Absolutely, and just to give our listeners a a, a final goodbye here because we've tossed around so many names i'm sure their heads are spinning but a lot of really good recruiting intel in this one starting to put the pieces together i think you can see the direction that the ship is sailing currently and there's no better time to join vt scoop than right now and you can see all this in text form see all the stars brighten up your computer screens and jump on the boards to talk about it and celebrate if and when it does happen but Doug, any final thoughts for the people tonight? Uh, no, I just have to say stay safe and wash your hands and stay inside. And if you don't do that, then we will not be having a college football season in the fall. So let's do that. And we want a college football season. But to everyone, like you said, stay safe and we'll see you soon.
closing time open all the doors and let you out into the world every sport has their big juicy controversy boxing has the mike tyson ear bite cycling has lance armstrong baseball has its steroid era curling has broomgate It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.